He's risen. So wonderful to see all of you here this resurrection morning. What a joy to see each of you and to see so many of you have come as visitors and our guests today. I want to talk to you about rumors. Some rumors turn out to be false, and they can cause a lot of damage to a person's reputation in their life. Some rumors, though, are proven to be true, and that can be wonderful news or devastating news, depending on your perspective. And some rumors are just plain funny. I got an email from our principal this past week, Robin Ahn, principal of our Kaimuki Christian School, and she wrote, Hi, Pastor Ron. There's a rumor going around the 11th grade Asian history class that before you became KCC senior pastor, you ruled Taiwan as Chiang Kai-shek. <laughs> Not true. She says, I hope this made you laugh. I said in reply, it did indeed make me laugh. D too. And then I continued, in recent years, some have accused me of being a TV psychologist. <laughs> then I went on. In the early 1980s, I had an elderly Japanese friend who told me one day that he had told his friends that uh, he had a pastor friend who looked just like Barney Miller. Some of you remember Barney Miller as that uh, TV sitcom detective. And while there may be similarities, uh, the rumors, <laughs> those rumors were ultimately found to be false and laid to rest. Well, the four gospel writers circulated what some considered to be outlandish rumors about Jesus. In their writings, they combined together to tell the story of Jesus. His birth in Bethlehem, his baptism at the River Jordan by John, his ministry in which he taught, and he, and, uh, he had his ministry laced with miracles uh, that you'd expect from the Messiah, actually. And then at the culmination of their, of their testaments, each one of them talked about his betrayal by a friend, his crucifixion, and then his burial. They talked about how a large rock, a boulder, was rolled in front of the tomb, and it was sealed, and there was a squadron of Roman soldiers placed there to guard the tomb. Anyone hearing that for the first time, that story, or reading it initially, would have concluded, that's the end of the story. But no, every one of those gospel writers went on to detail eyewitnesses and their accounts of those who'd gone to that tomb, found the stone rolled away, the soldiers gone, and the tomb empty. These writers spread rumors, according to many, of a resurrection. In fact, those rumors erupted around that empty tomb and reverberated throughout Jerusalem in the coming days. Those rumors grew as witnesses accumulated, as evidence mounted, and there was only one logical conclusion to reach. And I want us to consider those rumors, but first let's hear from some of those eyewitnesses themselves, right from those gospel testimonies. 
The women were the first to go early that Sunday morning to the tomb. After the Sabbath was over, it was Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, Salome, and another unnamed woman who had purchased spices, and they went through the streets of Jerusalem toward the tomb intent on anointing the body of Jesus. Hadn't had time before his burial hastily that previous Friday afternoon. But when they got to the tomb, they were astonished to find that stone rolled away. They had had no idea how they were going to deal with that. The guards that they thought they'd have to contend with were gone. And not only was the tomb empty, there was a man sitting there in brilliant white telling them that he's not here. He's risen, just as he said. And you are to go and tell his disciples and Peter. Well, Mary, maybe the youngest of the group, ran back to the upper room and um, spoke to the disciples. Mark records it. She went and reported to those who had been with him. While they were mourning and weeping, they were in hiding in that upper room. And when they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they refused to believe it. She'd actually encountered him on the way back and now had that to report as well. You'd think they'd believe it. No way. This was a rumor, unfounded, brought to them by a woman. It's the first rumor of the resurrection, and his closest disciples don't believe it. Two of them, Peter and John, weren't with them at the time. So John records, So she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Even she herself is struggling to believe at this point. Well, Peter decides they need to check this rumor out. He bursts forth from that upper room along with John, and they bolt through the streets of Jerusalem, out the city gate, makes their way to the tomb, and John pauses. He's more cautious at the entrance to the tomb when Peter just brushes right by him into that tomb. And all they discover are the empty grave clothes. And they realize, as they ponder this, that this rumor has some substance to it. Meanwhile, what happened to the guards who'd been stationed there? Matthew says the, the earthquake that rolled that stone away made them unconscious. But when they awakened, they realized that their own lives were in jeopardy for failing to guard that tomb. And so they go to the chief priests, the leaders of the Jewish people, hoping to get some cover before they have to go to the governor. So the chief priests convened an assembly, and this is how Matthew describes it. When they had assembled with the elders and consulted together, they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers and said, you are to say, his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this should come to the governor's ears, we will win him over and keep you out of trouble. And they took the money and did as they had been instructed. And this story was widely spread among the Jews and is to this day. Now that was a false rumor that had legs even to this day. But here was the second rumor of a resurrection that came to these Jewish religious leaders, and they were in no mood to even consider it. In fact, they didn't give it a second thought because they had way too much invested in their own power their careers, and their reputation to acknowledge the possibility this rumor might be factual. It's now Sunday afternoon, 
And there are two disciples of Jesus making their way to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, when a stranger joins them. It's Jesus, but they don't recognize him. And so this stranger asks them why they are so troubled and what they're discussing as they're walking along the way. They're incredulous. They say, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem these last three days and don't know what has been happening? And then they began to tell him about himself. They tell how this Jesus whom they had followed had been their hope. They thought he was the one that was going to restore Israel to glory. And then they also went on and told him about the rumors the women had brought about his resurrection. Jesus scolds them, and he asks them why they are so slow to believe what the prophets have spoken. And then beginning with Moses, who wrote those early Hebrew books we call the Old Testament, beginning with Moses and the prophets, he told them all the scriptures that were written about him that had to be fulfilled, and how didn't they know the Messiah had to first suffer before he could enter his glory? Well, finally they reached their destination, and they prevailed upon him to come and to stay with them, and so he went in, they sat down at table, and Jesus broke bread, as he had probably done countless times in their presence, and when he did that, they recognized him in the breaking of bread. Their eyes were opened, and then he was gone. Luke says, they said to one another, were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road? while he was explaining the scriptures to us. And they got up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found gathered together the eleven and those who were with them, saying, The Lord really has risen and has appeared to Simon. They began to relate their experiences on the road and how he was recognized by them in the breaking of the bread. So back in the upper room with those disciples, they don't even get a chance to relate their rumor before they hear the other disciples share yet another, that Peter has seen him. And then they tell that they also had seen this risen Lord Jesus. So witnesses are accumulating. Evidence is mounting. And then it happened. While they were telling these things, he himself stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought that they were seeing a spirit. Jesus showed them his hands, his feet, the scars, the wound in his side. And they realized, as he told them, a spirit doesn't have flesh like he had there. The rumor was becoming reality. One of the disciples, though, was missing. Thomas, for whatever reason, was not with them. And when these disciples related these reports to him, you remember his response. He was unwilling to believe. He said, unless I see for myself the nail prints in his hands and unless I'm able to touch his side where the spear was thrust, I will not believe. Well, eight days passed, a week and another day, and Thomas heard all the uh, rumors during those days that had been reported, and he still had unresolved doubts. And why wouldn't he? Resurrections don't happen every day. But John tells us after eight days, his disciples were again inside and Thomas with them. Jesus came, the doors having been shut, and stood in their midst and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, 
Reach here your finger and see my hands. And reach here your hand and put it into my side. And do not be unbelieving, but believing. Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Because you have seen me, have you believed? Blessed are they who did not see and yet believed. I want you to notice, though, Jesus didn't rebuke Thomas for his doubts. When he expressed his doubts and need for more evidence, Jesus offered it to him, gladly, willingly. He wanted him to have all the evidence he needed to believe, and then he urged him to believe. This was no longer a rumor. The evidence was proving that the resurrection is indeed a reality. Well, there's many recorded appearances of Jesus that first week. I've got a brief chart here I want to show you. And uh, you can see Mary Magdalene and the women coming to the tomb, and Simon Peter, and, and those on the way to Emmaus, the 11 disciples. And finally, ultimately, there were 500 that saw him before he departed after 40 days. There were all kinds of witnesses. There was all kinds of evidence that was mounting during those 40 days. And since then, countless billions have heard the rumors. And the responses of people today is not much different than it was from those in those early hours and days following the resurrection. I want to mention some of the ways. I want to mention three common ways in which people respond to these rumors. You just might find yourself in one of these categories. Let's consider the first. Like those women early to the tomb, like Peter and John who raced to the tomb, some look for the Lord and gladly consider the evidence. Finding to their joy the risen Jesus reveals himself to them. Does that sound familiar? The range of these folks is from a small child, like some who are on this platform this morning, who hears from a parent or a Sunday school teacher the story of Jesus and believes and begins a relationship with Christ that lasts a lifetime and brings such blessing to others through that child's life. All the way to a scholar who had started out as a skeptic, and how many of those have there been, who pondering the manuscripts, considering the evidence, has had to come to faith in Christ and develop a relationship with him as well. And there is every one of us in between who have found the Lord and know the peace that he brings, the purpose in life, and the promises that he gives. I myself heard this gospel so clearly for the first time when I was at a church camp when I was nine years of age. I believed. A few weeks later, I committed my life to Christ in baptism and uh, was convinced that he was my Savior, that he was with me, and that I'd spend eternity with him. Well, like so many, during my college years, I drifted from him and was far from him, actually, uh, living apart from Christ and his ways when Dee and I met and were married. But God intercepted both of us by grace, and uh, we committed our lives to him, and then just a couple of years later went into the ministry. Well, that was 44 years ago that we entered the ministry, and now here I am on Easter Sunday, diagnosed with stage 4 pancreatic cancer, and I want to tell you, the peace that he gave me back then is more real today than it was then. 
It has only increased as I've come to know Christ and his promises and how he keeps his word. I don't know if I will be with you next Easter, but I do know this. If I'm gone, I know where I will be. I'll be in the presence of the Lord, and I'll be looking to greet you when you folks come. He wants every one of us to have that calm assurance and trust in him. Coming to him, hearing, believing, and receiving. Many of you are already there. There's a second group, like the religious leaders and the Roman soldiers. Some have too much invested in their present lifestyle, career, or beliefs and simply refuse to believe. How many today are unwilling to consider the rumor of the resurrection for similar reasons? It might be a college professor who realizes that he comes out as a believer, it could cost him his job. She may be a scientist who understands that openly professing faith in Christ would prevent her articles from being published in the prestigious journals or from being invited to certain symposiums or receiving grants that will fund her research. It might be a journalist, a commentator, who knows that to profess faith would be the end of working for that network. Or maybe more of us can identify with this, it might be a person engaged in in an immoral lifestyle. We know that in our conscience. Engaged in an immoral lifestyle that we don't want to change, and so we don't want to hear about a resurrection, about a God who holds us accountable because we're unwilling to change, so we dismiss those rumors. It comes too close and would risk our lifestyle. Well, Stephen Hawking may have sincerely held to his belief that there was no God and certainly no resurrection. He is considered by many to be the greatest and most brilliant mind of our generation. Uh, His theories about black holes in his book, A Brief History of Time, showed amazing insight, I understand, into the operation of the universe. Hawking was diagnosed with ALS, or Lou Gehrig's disease, at the age of 21. And it just uh, devastated his body. Uh, He became increasingly paralyzed until finally, toward the end of his life, which he lasted until 77 last month, uh, he was only able at that time to communicate using one muscle in his cheek with a communications device so he could just write a few words uh, a minute. He had a real quest, Hawking did, to understand the depths of the universe, and even pondered the questions as to, why are we here? He was never able to answer that, and he was never able to answer what came before the Big Bang, and how do you account for gravity if there is no God that would uh, account for your theories? People shared with him. He grew up in some Sunday school classes. There was even an evangelical Christian who lived with him for a time and would read to him Bible stories every morning and talk to him about faith in Jesus. But Hawking could never bring himself to believe. He called the gospel a fairy tale for those who are afraid of the darkness. He said this. He wasn't angry or caustic like other atheists, some atheists. He said this. We are each free to believe what we want, and it is my view that the simplest explanation is that there is no God. No one created the universe, and no one directs our fate. To every one of his arguments, I think there is an even stronger counterargument. 
His funeral service was yesterday in a church in England. Going to church doesn't make you a Christian. Having your memorial service in a church does not make you a Christian. Attending an Easter service in a church does not make you a Christian. Trusting in Jesus makes you a Christian. Believing that his death on the cross was payment for your sins. Believing that that sacrifice on the cross was validated when God raised him from the dead and that now we know the promise is true. Our sins are forgiven. We have a relationship with God and we have the promise of eternal life. That's what makes us a Christian. Stephen Hawking now knows the rumors are true. You may find yourself in this category. For one reason or another, not wanting to even seriously consider the rumor because it would mess with your beliefs. It would interfere with your lifestyle. It might cost you some friends. It might damage your reputation. But I want to tell you, none of those things are going to matter. What matters most is that you get reconnected to the God who loves you, who created you, and wants that relationship, that eternal friendship with you. And if you've been pushing it aside, I urge you, don't. Don't do it any longer. Claim that eternal friendship as you surrender those things today. Those are two categories. Here's a third. Like Thomas, who needed more evidence than the word of others, some today have doubts, but come to faith when Jesus comes personally to them. Did you hear the news story from this last month about a Romanian man named Constantine Relio? who learned in January that he was officially declared dead. You see, he has been battling with the Romanian authorities since then to prove that he's alive. He had been in Turkey for 20 years as a cook when they discovered that his papers had expired, and so the Turkish government deported him back to his native Romania. But when he arrived, the border officials looked up the records and said that his wife, had had him declared legally dead. She was now conveniently living in Italy. And uh, so he went through six hours of interrogation right there at the border where they took an old passport photo. They measured the distance between his eyes, trying to see if it was him. They, they took his fingerprints. They asked him questions about his hometown. And then joyfully he said, they believed it was me. And he thought that would be it. But no, the court said that the, the ruling was official. So he appealed to the courts. And uh, just a couple of weeks ago, uh, he received word from the court that his appeal had been denied. Uh, and they said he had filed too late. The decision, the court said, is final. Now, I want to ask you a question. Do you think that the court that ruled that Constantine Relius declaration of death, official death final, canceled the reality that he's really alive? Didn't affect it at all, did it? Might have changed his benefits, but it didn't change his aliveness status. Now, many have declared that the reports of Jesus' death are final. Do you think that alters the reality that he's fully alive? It does not. And so you may have sincerely without really considering the evidence or the witnesses, made that decision yourself and relegated him to a tomb. 
The other said it was empty. You may have denied that resurrection, and if so, you'll wake up on the other side of your own resurrection to the realization the rumor was true. And that'll be a horrible realization because you'll realize not only was the rumor of his resurrection true, but so also was his words and his teachings about heaven and about hell. And you don't want to find yourself in that position. And I want to urge you this morning to consider again the eyewitnesses who have shared, not only in the first century through their records, but down through the ages, countless books. People you know, people in your own family, people in your workplace, in this community, people all around you that have experienced the presence of his resurrection power. The resurrection rumors continue because of changed lives. Not because of the word of someone else, but because of transformed lives. Oh, it has something to do with these witnesses and, and, and all the evidence, but every changed life confirms again the rumors, the resurrection are true. And so maybe you've got enough evidence to make a decision this morning. Some of you may genuinely need more evidence, and that's okay. Jesus welcomed doubters, didn't he? And we do here as well at Kamuki Christian Church. And that's why we have classes like Up to Bat, which we're going to have in just a couple of weeks, two consecutive evenings, April 10th and 17th, where we invite you to come. And we'll talk about the evidences and we'll talk about what it means to know Christ and to follow him. And we'll supply you with more, yet more evidence for you to believe. But, but some of you are ready right now and you've not made that decision, and I pray that you won't let this Easter Sunday pass without making it. I'm going to give you the opportunity uh, yet again for some of you to put your faith in Jesus Christ so that you'll know his purpose in your life and not just live for yourself, so that you'll have no fear in death and that you'll have a relationship with him that will span eternity. And so I'm going to ask, are you ready to consider the witnesses that have given their testimonies? Are you willing to consider again the evidence that has been set forth? And are you ready to acknowledge that those rumors have proven to become reality? If so, in fact, I'd like everyone to just bow your heads, please, for a few moments. Close your eyes. And if you're already a follower of Jesus, I want you to pray for those people around you that God just would come to them, that Jesus would personally reveal himself to them in the coming moments, days. Uh, as they come into that relationship with Jesus. But if, but if you're not there yet, and you sincerely are ready, then here's a simple prayer that you can express to him in the quietness of your own heart. It doesn't have to be audible or out loud. Say this to the Lord who, who hears you because he's alive. Dear Lord Jesus, I've heard the rumors. I've heard the eyewitness reports. I've heard of the evidence that has been amassed then and down through the ages. I have to acknowledge I've seen changed lives around me. I want you to change mine. I invite you to come into my life. I do believe you died on that cross for my sins. I believe you rose again and that you conquered death and you invite me to life, both here and hereafter. 
Thank you, Jesus, for your love, your acceptance, and your forgiveness. Amen.